I know one or two of them. In the right place, in the right place, and also at the right time. It's 7.30 or 11.30 or some other time. It's the internet. It's time for the Fallout Podcast Episode 19, Series or Season 3, a.k.a. Fall Advice. (laughs) It's a fall bracket of 525 songs going head to head in an ultimate victory crisis split into generations of circa 7785, circa 8693, circa their past and circa their recent past. And with me today, Pippington Beard, the ace of wands, humming with all the devil's finery. How are you today? I'm very well, sir. I'm looking forward to this new season of uh, esteemed opinion and insightful discourse about that there fall bond. Splendid. And over there we have Lord Sage Temple of the Throbbing Cups, forever snoozing in a Barbara Windsor wonderland. How are you, Ezra? I'm very well. It's been a calendar month since I last had a cigarette. So if anybody says anything I disagree with, They'll fucking get it right up the arse. It's That's awesome. really <laughs> ironic. That's really ironic, that, because I've actually started smoking. I was like, kicking around for a hobby, and it's, you know. <laughs> it's like babies. It's like old people's babies. When one checks out, one checks in. And uh, the Pemberton Walker drying out his lovely eggs among the sodden peaks. How are you, Alistair? I'm all right, Brendan. Yeah, feeling coquettish today. Um, to the cast. Demure and... And festooned in lace. <laughs> An invisible peel, R.I.P., rattling his change to the ectoplasmic etch-a-sketch. Or not, who knows? And I am the host, drink from my gilded lily. Tonight, I have a question for you. Should we cower to criminals? That's my question, what I thought of by myself. Alistair, what do you think? Well, we're already carrying to government crap, so, you know, might as well. Got political very early. Philip? He's on fire this morning, him, isn't he? With his, his fall lyrical quotes <laughs> there and just crowbarring him in. That's, that was absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Should we come to criminals? No. Hanging's too good for him. Exactly. That's what I think. Ezra, are you, are you a softy liberal or a hardliner? It depends on how many muscles and guns they have. Yes, it does, doesn't it? So we'll, do, we'll, get, we'll get back to you with the data on that. But for now, let's move into a section what we have called Futures and Past, probably. And today I am up and I'm going to talk about that most hated of bands, Pavement. How dare, how dare I bring their name? So we looked at Frank Sidebottom and uh, Knut Hamsen. We looked at Captain Beefheart and now we're looking at Pavement. Now, I will not be mentioning that Pavement's horrific version of the classical or the live song in which he, uh, Stephen Malmus claims that Mark Smith used to work for him in 1983 and he stole all his ideas from me and now I'm stealing them right back. Won't be talking about that stuff. What about you three? Are you, um, do you have any love for Pavement? Are they a band you know? Obviously, Smith was not a fan, basically said that Pavement was a uh, ripping him off and spending all his money that he should have on BMWs at any time uh, anyone needed an advert done uh, and wanted a band to sound like the fall they would call up pavement and get them to do the advert now I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how true any of that is 
but I am going to play you a song that might uh, might back up some of this. So, what's your take on pavements? So I, I, think, I think you introduced me to pavements, um, and I, so I'm, I'm familiar with quite a few of their albums. I'm not quite sure off the top of my head how many they've done, but I know like Slanted and Enchanted and uh, Where Is Zowie and Right Over the Corners, that sort of thing. Um, and I really like it. In fact, I remember, I think it was uh, Stereo was probably the first song and the uh, the lyric about Geddy Lee just kind of had me at that moment then. It was, uh, yeah, I do like them. And I, I think they're, they're quite influential in their own right as well, haven't they? I, I think in the way that they affected indie pop. Absolutely. And, um, you know, for all of the things that Pavement left behind and Malcolmus, Steve Malcolmus, the singer, he kept that that, that vocal inflection of Smith's and the, uh, the the very funny lyrics. The one about, yes, what about the voice of Geddy Lee? How did he get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. I know him and he does. Then you're my fact-checking, cuz. Um, and, um, yeah, before I come to your other two chaps on whether or not you like the pavements. Let's hear a, a, a snatch of the song Box Elder, which is actually the first pavement song I ever heard. Which is... Wedding Presents Box Elder, didn't they? They did. So the first the first I ever actually heard, the first time I ever heard pavement was the Wedding Presents version of Box Elder on, on Peely. And I think that was true for a lot of people. They, they, it hadn't been out very long when when, uh, when the wedding present covered it. And it's a great song, and that's that's what I've chosen to play first. Oh, go on then. I was filling it, and now I've finally been able to let him share his screen. <laughs> oh, see yeah. he, let's see if he now remembers how to play the song. <laughs> I chose this one because it's an early pavement song. It's a great one. It doesn't really rip off the fall. I chose this one for people who, who only think the, the um, pavement were a fall ripoff. They, all, they also ripped off many other bands. This particular song is just Death and the Maiden by the Verlaines, which is another great song. But they ripped off um, uh, Swell Maps, Echo and the Bunnymen, Son of Youth. They were, they were shameless, and, um, but a great band. Alistair, what you, you've you've saw them a bunch of times, and you were a fan, right? What uh, what was your take on Pavement? Well, I thought they were all right. They're a pretty good pop band. Um, I'd say they're more of a pop band than a, a kind of experimental sort of band because um, they do do pop songs, and they're, they're quite competent pop songs. Very nice. I remember, I think the first time I saw them was uh, supporting Sonic Youth, and I thought they were better than Sonic Youth. Tell truth. So, the old drummer who kept on throwing his sticks all over the place. That was quite funny. Um, but I also remember Mark Smith going on about um, hearing a, a new permanent LP and I thought it was a fall bootleg of a gig, um, which, yeah, just Smith being cocky in it. But yeah, generally, I quite like permanent. I'll put them in the, uh, the, the good box. 
It, what he actually said was, so, well, I know it's the same thing, but he said, it's just the fall in 1985, isn't it? They haven't got an original idea in their heads. And um, <laughs> I mean, the fact that this pet fall, we're not, a, not afraid of ripping people off, but we'll come to that later. Before I come to you, Ezra, I'd like, Phil, if you don't mind, I'd like to play a song that basically, you know, this is from Wowie Zowie. So basically, this is the point where they no longer sound like the fall and start to sound more like um, Steely Dan. Castration fear In a chair You'll be With me We'll dance We'll dance We'll dance Yeah, so they, they, they did five albums and really it was only the first couple and the singles that really sounded like pavement. But um, by the time they got to where I was over the third album, they were a totally different beast, pretty unique. And I, I, I guess if you still like them after that, you're probably a pavement fan. But if, uh, if you're more of a post-punky fan, then stick to those kind of early singles. Ezra, what's your, what's your relationship with the pavement? So do you, uh, are they a fall rip-off band to you? Well, I'd never really heard it until you put up that track that you'll probably play next, uh, the name of which escapes me for now. But uh, way back in the day, I had the Gold Sounds EP, and I thought it was fucking great. And I listened to a couple of their albums around that time, and I didn't like them as much as the EP, so I didn't really pursue it much further. But that EP, I mean, I remember like being really struck and interested by the totally non-tangent kind of uh, lyrics that were going off in there, which now I can obviously see is something that, you know, he probably pretty much copped directly from the fallen Marquis Smith. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking that kind of thing and putting your own spin on it. It's eminently spinnable. But yeah, you know, I've got no, no major uh, beef with the pavement. No, no. So he took, you know, they they did took it on, and then they ran with it, and that, I think that uh, that's what makes it okay for me. But when you go to this next song, <laughs> this is <laughs> unacceptable, but also brilliant. So this is conduit for sale. Let's see if you you can see the fall influence on this song. Mercio. 
It's a great song. <laughs> Has hints, just hints of new face in hell in there. <laughs> um, so this is for the people who think that, that the pavement aren't a fall rip-off band. So if you think, oh, no, no, they're totally different, right? So they did have their moments. <laughs> it's a great song. Yeah. Um, so that's it. That's Pavement, great band, you, yeah, a far rip-off band, but one of the best. I'll tell you what is quite interesting is that when my first day when I moved out to London, I got gifted a ticket to go and watch Steve Maltmus live um, from a mutual friend, Laura Barton. And, when, and that was the gig that I went to where I spilled three pints of lager down John Peel's front. <laughs> three three is, is, quite the, is quite the achievement, isn't it? Um. He was very magnanimous about it. I'm sure. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he apologised. No doubt he'd be right to regularly using the uh, magic extra, extra sketch of magma doodle. He won't, he won't, he won't let it lie, Al. He won't let it lie. I wouldn't. Before we move on, I do want to say one of my favourite Maltmus uh, lyrics is embrace the senile genius, watch him reinvent the wheel. I think, you know, if nothing else, the, the, the dude has something very special. So check him out. And actually, it was, the, a, it was a podcast about Maltmus's uh, uh, songs that, that gave me the idea for this. I stole that idea for this. So enough messing around. Let's move on to the main event this evening. The NWRA of Grotesque up against Winter of Hex Induction Hour. Oh, oh, la, la. oh I'm shaking already. League of Bald-Headed Gentlemen off, uh, so, off uh, Infotainment Scam up against So What About It. And then Ten House of Eve off Levitate up against This Perfect Day off the Marshall Suite. And finally, Second House Now off New Facts Emerge up against Daz Boat of Phil's favourite album. Post Reformation TLC. So, without further ado, he says, fifteen minutes in, um, give us a, a blast of the NWRA. What had happened? We walked through all the estates from Manchester right to uh, Newcastle. Mick helped a large man on his own chase of some kids who were dropping bricks and stuff through his flat window. She had a way with people like that. The criticism we moved on. Jimmy had choice played one morning. The song was English Ski. Mine. They changed it and did a grand piano and turned it into a love song. How they did it. The DJs had worsened since the rising. Elaborating on nothing in praise of the track. The words they could have and pronounce it in their voices. Was mad and laughed at the same time. Beautiful. That is why we are here. Philip. You're up first. What do you make of this? Oh my God, it's worth a start, isn't it? It's, uh, I think this episode, Brendan, you've not made any friends at all in terms of how you've heard up these tunes today. And this is this is the first one that you've that you've kind of teed up for us and, and what it's against, I think, should actually be a crime in English common law. But nevertheless, we are where we are. The North will rise again. I, I think it's, it's a really immense... Uh, saga, isn't it? It's it's one of the long form sort of poet pieces, like the epic. And uh, I, I love the world that he creates in it. I think musically, it's really interesting. It's it starts off. It, it it's one of those things that gets branded as as country and northern, as, as kind of pulling on a, a sort of country and western tradition. But it's its own thing. 
even even at the very start of it, I know they're deconstructing those elements, but it really does create its own world and sound. And I, I think in the, the, the lyrics, which you're probably not going to get too deep into today, but I, I really love the uh, evocative nature of some of the magical realism. And it really reminds me of like Neil Gaiman in places, you know, he's, who I think is a real master at that uh, making the mundane magical. But the, all, all the references to things like the ostrich feathered headdress and the underworld and mixed up with this political drama of North and South. And it's amazing. It's an absolutely amazing piece. Absolutely, yeah. Alistair, what about you? Yeah, I love it. And uh, yeah, Brendan, you're a bastard for putting this one up against winter. Um, but yeah, it's great. Nice skippy groove to it. I like the back kind of vocal delivery. I have walked many a mile to this one uh, over the years. Um, but yeah, it, it reminds me kind of uh, Velvet's a bit uh, with the sound of it, you know, a bit of a kind of sister rare type groove to it. Um, some great kind of like minimal sort of interactions between all the instruments as well, playing off each other. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a classic. And yeah, uh, I'm not going to get into the lyrics either. Let us never talk of those lyrics. And were they mere leaders? Ezra, are you prepared to talk about the lyrics? Uh, this song's just um, infallible in my mind. Like, I can never get enough of listening to this song. I'll listen to it and then put it back to the beginning and listen to it again. It's interesting, I was reading the annotated fall today, as I'm sure many of us were, and, you know, everyone would assume that it's the North will rise again, as that's what happens in the in the lyrics, but... Uh, one of the first comments is that, well, it could be, what was it, the Northwest Republican Army? Because, you know, the actual title of the song is NWRA. And thinking about that, that actually kind of makes a bit more sense. The lyrics I wouldn't want to get too far into, but it's, you know, the, the way that The Fall and Marky Smith approached politics to me is a really interesting thing. And it's kind of an enigmatic thing as well. You know, like... Sometimes I just think, well, their basic existence was their most political act um, and the way they did it, um, the way they operated their careers. But with this song about a failed uprising, you get the sense of, you know, like you get with um, the later kind of Philip K. Dick books of humanity being trapped in some kind of mental or psychic prison. You know, it leads me to think like how could you get out of this? And it's, you know, the within the lyrics of this song, it seems quite bleak. And uh, yeah, I think I'll stop there for now. That is a good place to stop because the can of worms has now been opened. Is it Tony Wilson who scuppers this insurrection, do you think? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's it's got a post it's got one of those like a post apocalyptic kind of uprising vibe that was very popular in, in television in the late seventies and eighties. There, all over the show, you couldn't you couldn't switch the channel for somebody uh, mounting an armed insurrection, the NWIRA, and so on. Uh, beautifully minimalistic kind of all the instruments are essentially just playing that, that same rhythm dun, 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 just over and over again for nine minutes and then Scanlon is like he's being very smart with it he comes in I think the bit where um, where Smith punches the guy and knocks him to the ground and, and uh, bloodies up his shirt you get these kind of noisy guitar kind of like interjections it is absolutely masterful and I have to admit <laughs> I didn't remember how good both of these songs were when I was like 
that'll be okay because uh, you know I'm going to lift the veil a little bit here. If in round one, two really big tunes went up against each other, I gave myself the option of re-spinning the wheel once. I didn't break the rules, Phil. I know you're looking at me like that, like a broken. I didn't. I, I gave myself away, but I thought, no, I tell one you. One rule for one. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I thought, I'll go for it. And I, I now regret it because this is just absolutely fantastic. And the bit about the people in the yard, now tend to get knocked off their ladders. Just um, uh, the dream logic of the song was English Scheme. They changed it with a grand piano and turned it a love song. I don't know how they did it. And uh, the, the whole Joe Total, Roman Total thing that goes through multiple songs at this point. Um, if this goes out, what an opportunity lost. What an opportunity lost. What does John Peel say? Well, let's, uh, let's dial him up on the old spectrophone. This is a great track mainly for the concept of future spirits' prophetic ramblings, but I must admit, I don't like it as much as I once did. I think compared to the real highlights of Grotesque, it's a bit of a bit of basic musically, and I think it could be trimmed a bit and not lose anything. Still, the delivery is superb. Real full commitment, Mez. Good shit. Absolutely. <sighs> Take a deep breath, chaps, because it's up against Winter Hostel Maxi, which, you know, maybe because there's two versions of Winter and they're both in, even though it was really one song, but they split into two. So I'd, I'd let it sneak in twice. But this is the uh, one that most people cite when they talk about Winter. So give us a blast of uh, that Hex classic. <laughs> Street signs you never saw All entrances delivered Gotta see winter Entrances uncovered Street signs you never saw All entrances delivered You've got to work for <laughs> Absolutely. Alistair, what's your take on winter? Well, I've written absolutely nothing about this one. Um, it's it's just great, isn't it? You know, um, I love the little story in there. Um, the mad kid, give me the lead, give me the lead. Some brilliant vocal delivery in it. It's, it's just a bloody classic, isn't it? Uh, again, it's one that I've, I've listened to for many a decade in the uh, probably will continue to um just love it love it love it it's a, it's a beautiful slow build that um it is yeah in the long intro but when you get into that groove uh like where phil had to just you know 
give it a couple of extra seconds just to uh, wait for the drums and the bass to kick in. Yeah, it's a really nice, slow-paced, calm, chilled-out song, like, on the surface. Uh, but, you know, there's still quite a bit of edginess to it. Aye, aye. Ezra? Yeah, well, this is another infallible song, which... I'll never get tired of listening to. You got Manny in the library working off his hangover at 3.30, get the spleen at 3.15, but it's 3.13. Like the first time I heard that lyric, I was like, God, yeah, you know, there is a kind of timing to getting a hangover out your system, isn't it? Of course, it's possible that spleen refers to eruptions of rage, which is another thing that a hangover can um, can bring on. But um yeah, it's interesting that, you know, you, you referred to uh, uh, NWRA as being magical realist or having a sense of magical realism. If I was going to um, use those words to describe a song, I would be more inclined toward winter. It's, you know, it's much less clear as to, as to what it's about, but somehow it has this, and maybe I'm just hallucinating it, but it has this marvellous feel of a kind of English winter to me and the kind of clarity of the light that you can get in, in the winter up north. And I don't know how it achieves that. I mean, maybe it's just because it's called winter, but somehow it's there in my head every time I listen to it since I started listening to it. Um, maybe it's just the desolation of the music. I don't know, but it's so incandescently great. It kind of evokes a similar feel as Iceland in some ways, but yeah, I do get, and maybe it is just because I know it was recorded in England rather than Iceland, and, and it is about an English winter that uh, somehow it does feel different, but it does have that kind of icy, ominous kind of tone to it. And I always, we talked a little earlier, uh, Ezra, about that line about entrances uncovered, and um, I always thought this was like a Narnia-esque you know, you saw little, you know, it was only in winter that and under the snow that these these um, pathways to other times and dimensions kind of appeared. And uh, yeah, the working, you know, the spleen at 3.15, but it's 3.13 is weirdly specific in a way that makes you think it means something. I was listening to that, um, those lads that do the Puritans Guide uh, podcast. They did an episode on winter and they probably spent about 10 minutes on, on that line of like, what, what does, what does 3.15 and 3.30? And it's like, um, and I love the line, there was a feminist Austin Maxi parked outside with anti-nicotine, anti-nuclear stickers on the side. And the boys on the inside said, give me a smoke. Beautiful. Vonnegut-esque, possibly. Don't know. Phil Rigby, what do you think? I, for me, I think Ezra's honed in on the most interesting thing about this, and it's an amazing song. But I, I was, I, <laughs> it's like, how are they making it sound so wintry? How are they making it sound so Christmassy as a song? And there's no obvious signals. There's no like sleigh bells going on or anything, or Noddy Holden or anything like that. But it sounds so beautifully in capturing that, that sense of glistening. England in the winter and it it's like an optical illusion whatever the sonic equivalent is of an optical illusion it's that's what they pull off in this record because the things because it's just as wintry as something like that Pogues duet that always gets played which is a, is a is a great song it's a great sort of pop duet but this captures that in the same way it's got a, and the 
some of his conversational lyrical style, it really reminds me of like Les Dawson, Housewife Over the Fence kind of narration going on in places. And then you've got the, like Al said about the Gimme the Lead and there's the uh, the other reference in it to, um, oh, I'll take both of you on. I'll take both of you on. It, it's, it's creative in a performance way that NWRA isn't because it's pretty straight North Rise again, isn't it? Um, even though it's a much more uh, invested in story, the, the sort of epic size of that. But um, yeah, this is beautiful. It's a really beautiful song, really clever. It's a, it is like a miniature. It is just like looking at his estate, looking at like the things that are happening around. And I love that delivery. Yeah, I, I take both of you on. It's uh, fantastic. <laughs> you know, we've met, you've all met mad kids like that, right? Wigan's littered with them, bloody Wigan. Yeah, um, I, I remember a couple of faces. Uh, uh, mad Tommy, he was one of them. <laughs> What does uh, our friend on the other side think? Getting into his frequency now. So he says, This is one of the Fall's best songs. It nails the misty and obscure horror amidst the mundane theme brilliantly. And the track is masterfully constructed. The way the sinuous guitar and bass lines weave in and out of each other blows me away every time I hear it. A real centerpiece of the album. It spans both sides of Winter Winds comfortably peeled. Okay, carried on reading there, and I should have probably paused just to keep the suspension. I think he'd given it away. I am getting in early, so I don't have to make the deciding vote. I'm going for NWRA, so it is 1-1. Ezra? I'm splitting my vote. You can't ask me to choose between these. <laughs> Good Lord, he's the, 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 foot, the foot has spoken. The heels, the heels are dug in. Alistair? Oh, you know, if Ezra's not going to cast a vote, I'm going with Ezra. Good. <laughs> right on, Phil Rigby. That's it, Al. Don't cover to the criminal. No. Um, you get the you get the side in vote, Phil. So I, 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 all right then. I'll be the man. I'll uh, <laughs> or a woman. Oh, don't be the man. Or both. Or neither. I will. So one of the other things I was going to say about Winter was the fact that musically, I think they're both actually very similar. It's they just in a bizarre way, but they have a similar style to them. But I think Winter is the more beautiful of the two. So let's go with an aesthetic choice. And uh, I'm going to go with Winter. Interesting. So Winter it is that goes through. Fantastic. And we'll if it wasn't being cowardly, I would have voted for Winter as well. <laughs> and I kind of guessed that Ezra was was erring towards Winter. But I did they're both. Really he'll, ne he'll never admit. He'll never let anything slip. Look at that stone, that poker face. <laughs> I do think um, that it, it, it's a hard life sometimes, isn't it? But time to move on to uh, League of the Bald-Headed off Infotainment Scan. Scan up against. So what about it off Shift Work? So give us a blast of the uh, of the league, if you don't mind. Ezra, you are up first. What of the league? Well, something that just occurred to me, and I don't know if it's just me, but a lot of these kind of like sequenced synth intros to tracks around this period seem like a calculated dig at New Order. 
<laughs> I don't know about that, but it just just popped up in my head. Um, anyway, yeah, this is this is a real nice track, I think. Um, good grinding, kind of sunny indie rock production. I'm not so fond of, but I really like the lyric. Well, 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 with me. I end up like that all around and inside left, all through the walls. It suppurates. Look it up. I'm immobile. Is your house for sale? And that's super interesting. I, I love the way he asks you to look up suppurates. I didn't have to look that up because I'm obsessed with puss. You know, and it also reminded me of Succession Man and many other songs. And also, you know, there's this weird geometric thing that goes through all the lyrics, a lot of the lyrics in the full songs. And it was in winter, and it's in a, it's had to live in the country, and and it seems like an almost kind of mystical thing, where it's like the uh, kind of maybe in the case of this song, anyways, the kind of mediocrity of everything is kind of being stored in cinema walls, and the kind of the puss of the mediocre is circulating through those walls. But I don't know. I digress. But yeah, it's a fun track. No, it is. And um, Steve Hanley said in his book, I'm starting to wonder if I'm becoming his muse <laughs> when the when the next track becomes a diatribe entitled The League of Bald-Headed Men. I am clearly the founding member. The lyrics aren't taking much working out these days, are they? And uh, if that is the case, it's, it, it's certainly not beyond Smith to just boldly storm in and then say things like he hates... <laughs> Oh, the bald-headed men, and he's surrounded by them. Hate the blue baseball hatted. Uh, I can imagine Hanley standing there in a blue baseball hat while 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 he's singing this song. (laughs) And it reminds me of that line um, by uh, one of my, you know, I have a soft spot for for Pete Doherty, the uh, shambling uh, singer-songwriter. And uh, he, he, the line from uh, the Libertines, Time for Heroes, which is, there are, there are fewer more distressing sights than that of an Englishman in a baseball cap, um, which is a, a great lyric. But um, interesting you say the, the New Order thing, because I listened to a live version of this, where the, the bloops and bleeps are even more pronounced and are very, very much Blue Monday. Um, Actually, sound really good live. It sounds like you know the production of this era is. It does take a lot of the bite out of these, and um, it kind of like levels the playing field. So there's no lead instruments really. Everything's just kind of a, a much of a, a muchness. And um, uh, but the live version uh, kind of hints that there was you know with a different producer in a different time, there was a bit more of a raw uh, energy to this. Um, unfortunately, we did not get to see that. School friends, pop mongs, male loafers, business affairs, advisors, and members of the band. <laughs> the fingers are being pointed at everybody around him. Jesus Christ. And apparently in the in the remix, because this was the remix era, there was an extra line that said, you scored passages to assuage their post-latent sexual baldy alopecia. <laughs> so he doubles down. <laughs> doubles down on the mockery. What does Peel think of this one? He, uh, he smeared in uh, bean juice on the wall, bald-headed Phil, which I think is his joke there that he's put. 
this one's okay. One of my least favourite originals on this album. It's very competent, but it doesn't move me. Sort of a perfunctory performance that never quite builds enough. Given that. And what about you, Phil? What's your opinion on this song? Well, I, I like Dropout Boogie by the Captain Beefarts. So uh, I'm, I'm a, I obviously I enjoy the main riff in this record and uh, I also like the Happy Mondays which I think is also kind of we've and I like the Monks as well which he manages to get a bit in there and uh, so I like all those things so I, I must like this record apart from the fact that as a maligned uh, minority group within this particular collective I feel like the line has to be drawn with these favourite schoolyard insults <laughs> The well, 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 well reminds me of the monks, right? That that, that lyric um, and other stuff. But yes, it is. <laughs> it's a grab bag of of, uh, of stolen things used as a vehicle to abuse the people around him. <laughs> and if nothing else, I commend him for what it. Who <laughs> hurt him? Which bald-headed man hurt him? Well, you missed it. You went out of the room when I read the bit from Hanley's book, which says... I'd start to wonder if I'm becoming his muse when the next trap becomes a diatribe entitled League of Bald-Headed Men. And clearly, the, the lyrics aren't taking too much working out these days, are they? Um, <laughs> so. And Lee in his book as well, and then about um, surprised about uh, how bald he went. You, you could sort of like um, trace it through watching the videos for the, uh, the, the singles. <laughs> yeah. uh, Hanley's, uh, Hanley's hairline, a, a mm. life in videos. Right. What do you reckon to this, Alistair? Um, it's not one of my favourite LPs that it's off. Um, it's probably one of the better songs on the LP. It's all right, not dead inspiring, keeps a steady sort of metronomic pace to it. Find the drums to be really dull. Uh, but there's a nice vocal delivery uh, and a nice kind of like a Link Ray Crampsy type groove uh, with, a, with a guitar. Yeah, so like I said, it's all right, not dead inspiring. Took all of those fantastic uh, influences and made a mediocre diss track. So, mm. moving on. What about it? Off shift work. Now, these these kind of like generic titles have not provided much uh, in the way of good songs so far. So let's fingers crossed for this one. I'll take this one, if uh, if you don't mind. Yes, you mentioned that you like the Happy Mondays, Phil. So you might you might like this one too. That's it. it sounds like he's taped "Step On" off the radio and sung over the top of it. But I do like um, the vocal delivery. I like the the um, the breathy vox and the megaphone at the beginning, and then going into. I, I like it when he sings the the melody, sings the riff. Uh, it's pretty cool. There's some. Nice snurs that, that sound like hand claps and a, a little bit of a timbales kind of thing going on a bit. Although it is fairly nondescript and, and I think it suffers again from this era of not really having a, much of a lead line or much or much teeth. Um, 
Yeah, lyrics, it's hard to get an idea on what, what he's going on. Love year number one has gone and turned into a year of bomb. TV was 24 hours. You're driving around the Lake District, you're stepping around. It doesn't matter to me because it happens. It's magic. So what about it? It's, um, it's hard to get a handle on whether he's being uh, obliquely beautiful just or just lazy. What about Peel? What does he have to say? So, on, <laughs> so what about it? This is a bit better. See, I read the title again because he made the joke in the title last time. And I'm just worried now that I might be missing extra material that he's putting in. Actual genius. There isn't actually a joke in this one, though, so I'll, yeah. I won't read it again. This is a bit better, still very flimsy and lightweight, but it's a lot of fun and has some spirited moments. I like Mark's whispered and warped vocal bits, and overall it makes me think of baggy, tie-dyed and cheap whiz. Very danceable. Nice. And um, what does Alistair think? Hey, it reminds me quite a bit of the... Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I, do, do, do you remember the My Bloody Valentine sort of one with a bit of a, an indie dance crossover feel to it. Um, that, that reminded oh, me more soon, of that. Right? Sorry? Soon, wouldn't it be? Yeah, soon it is. Soon yeah. Yeah, yeah. isn't anything, mm. yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, the flip side to that is it also reminds me of the Paris Angels, which isn't a good thing. So it's, it's all very indie dance crossover, hit the north side type stuff. Uh, guitar sounds terrible, drums uninspiring. Since a cack, pedestrian... <laughs> Good Lord, Alistair. What, you know, did you get up on the wrong nice. side of bed to be using that kind of vitriol? There's some it's nice, nice singing on there, though, isn't there? Yeah. Um, Ezra, what do you make of this? Well, compared to uh, League of Bald-Headed Gentlemen, I felt like it had more to hang on to musically for me. You know, like a nice bit of serpentine guitar riff, uh, a snare that's been uh, put through some reverb, bit more rhythmic maybe but yeah it the main thing that interests me is the effect he gets on his vocals because it starts off and he's obviously going through a megaphone but towards the end of it he sounds terribly asthmatic like so kind of like sandpapered and and wispy that you think that you know if someone you knew was speaking like that or you just met someone talking like that you'd be fucking scared for their health um, and that was the main thing I thought about this. I think you're right, Brendan. This period, even, you know, good tracks kind of tend to turn up sounding shit thanks to the crappy production that just seems to turn everything into like, you know, like a compressed kind of blur. Nothing, nothing's jumping out, right? So, yeah, not a fan. Just the time, that. wasn't it? Trying to, trying to stay in the charts because... Um... This, this was the era where they were actually having top 20 LPs and all that stuff and making that cash. That then they could buy their own BMWs. To, to, um, sandpapery and wispy is a beautiful description. And uh, But if I do ever meet anyone who, who, who fits that description, I will send them to the doctors immediately following your advice, Ezra. Uh, Phil Rigby, what do you make of this track? So it's, it, I, I, I like you, I quite like the bit where he's singing over the... Uh, the motif of the guitars playing, uh, but that's about it. It doesn't really do anything else for me. This this tune at all. It's uh, I was I was <laughs> making that terrible joke last night about Star Trek Four, where um, where Scotty's trying to engage with the computer. But it, what he was what I was getting at is that 
for me, this it feels like one of those AI tunes. It's like, could computer, could you create me a '90s indie dance rock crossover? Um, and can you make sure that the vocals sound like Marky Smith? This is the kind of thing that would come out the other end of it. So it's it's not really got much going for me. So I I was left asking myself, so what about it? Oh, good luck. That's what we have all lost. So you made the quote unquote joke at the you saved it for the end. And that's that's really your strength as a as a comedian. I was it's a bit like Stuart Lee where he explained the joke first. That's why it's, it's all scripted. This very, it's very very clever, and, and and I think your twenty minute attempt at humor stretching some humor out of the Star Trek thing last night was also time well spent. <laughs> uh, um, so let's take a vote then. Let's see if people have actually grown some nuggets and are going to vote for some songs this time round. Not not pointing any any fingers or casting any aspir- uh, aspirins at anyone. But um, Alistair, I think we're set precedent now that people are going to vote on nothing at all today, um, <laughs> just for the sake of it, because I can. No, um, I'll go for League of Bold, Eddie Gentleman. Bold as it is, splendid. I am going to. Although conceptually I do like the bald-headed uh, idea, I'm going first. So what about it? I, li- I like it better as a tune. I think it's the one. I was really surprised how much I liked it. I really, it was one of my favourites this week, and I didn't know the song very well. But uh, Ezra, what about you? Uh, just to correct that, I did vote last time. I just split my vote. We, oh, we sure. get three points, right? We get three points, so I awarded one and a half to each song. And okay. I'll take those aspirins, grind them into powder, and snort them down. Was this the arse kicking that you warned us of earlier? Oh, no, 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 not, not at all. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> okay. No, no, this is just a minor griping, I'm afraid. Okay. Um, but my vote's got to be for the bald-headed gentleman. Okay. Yeah. Um, it looks like I'm going to be a zero for two here then, so, so Philip. Well, as, as much as it pains me to say this, I'm actually going to go for uh, someone about it because I do right. think it's it's more original than the other one. I think the other one, it just lifts Dropout Boogie by b And it's, uh, yeah, I, I do think this is slightly better as a song, but it's just, I think, the both fairly mediocre. Right on, so it's down to Peely to cast the uh, deciding vote then. Uh, so what about it? Okay, so, so, so what about it? goes through and we move on to the fall do jungle who would have thought it 10 houses of eve off levitate So it's the dance to that. Absolutely going for it. You had a big fish, a little fish, and then you put it in a box. Alistair, what do you reckon to this uh, ill-advised question mark take on the drum and bass scene? Best take on the drum and bass scene ever, really, is it? Um, There's quite a nice guitar sample in there, though, that I I do like. Um, But, yeah, it's it's just 
is drum and bass light, isn't it? And it just seems to be like chucking in bits from various songs from Levitate. Levit- He's got the uh, piano bit from uh, uh, Jap Kid, <laughs> uh, as they call it. Um, it just tends to confuse Slam together. A bit of a, a blag, really, you know. What can you say? <laughs> what can you say? Fair enough. Because uh, yeah, you, you made me a tape with some really good kind of like uh, noisy uh, shit mat and... Um, and kick its face off style uh, noise core and drum like and bass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like you're mm. drilling holes in the wall, early square pusher and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, so I thought you would. I also wrote down like drum and bass, and I knew when this popped up, I thought, it's, Alice is not going to accept this. <laughs> no, it's, it's not a, you know, a same murderer by exactly. any standards. By any nice. standards. Mm. Um, Ezra, what do you make of uh, Ten Houses of Eve? Well, you know, I, I was and still am a big Jungle fan. And I think that's probably why I didn't buy this album when it came out. Because I think this might have been one of the singles off the album, was it? Not sure if it was, but it yeah, was certainly I'm one of the ones sure. that was mostly played around the time. I heard this one a lot when it, when the album came out. Yeah. And so anyways, I definitely heard it. And of course, I, as any self-respecting Jungle fan would, I thought, what the fucking bollocks is this? It's terrible. But no, I love it. I think it's great. Um, It's just, I just love the cheapness. You know, it's like Succession Man. But actually, beyond the cheapness, it's quite nicely produced because you've got all these weird kind of backing vocals that are almost subliminal in that kind of breakdown where you get that wonderfully cheesy kind of like, it's the kind of like piano playing you'd get on the most maudlin section of a, you know, a happy hardcore night or something. And the lyrics are excellent. The, the, the way that he sings them is excellent. He's just slurring them out in the most kind of weird. And I mean, I'd love to try singing this at karaoke if the, um, if the opportunity ever presented itself. And then they, they keep the guitar until the very end. And then suddenly there's some guitar in it. You're like, all right, so this is the fall then. It's not just <laughs> Marky e. Smith kind of like drunkenly yodeling over a really shit, like 14-year-old's first stab at fucking <laughs> jungle. <laughs> so it's a real, it's a real hoot. I, I, I'm very fond of this. I also really liked it, even though, you know, obviously it is a bit of a lighter take on, on, on the drum and bass. You know, by that era, it was getting a bit coffee table and you had like, uh, you know, jungle and drum and bass on adverts and stuff like that. And it's a bit like that. And I, I wondered whether, I think this is, must still be one of the songs the Inch lads did before he, he kicked him out the door. But yeah, Smith's vocals, and, he, and um, I know I've banged on a lot about Miles Davis and Mark Smith, but like whatever the style of music, he just somehow, it just fits. There isn't a style of music that where his vocals sound incongruous. It's like, okay, they do a rockabilly piss take where it works. They do a drum, well, works. <laughs> you might disagree with me, but I, I like it. <laughs> he, does, he sings over drum and bass, then he sings over rockabilly. He's singing over like 90s indie dance. He's singing over post-punk and it, and it, it fits beautifully no matter no matter what style he's singing and he's very very intuitive and adaptable and um and uh, some of the lyrics are quite nice you know the, the can you see the ten house of eva and i'm wondering you know he's talking about astrology and um is there a bit more mysticism going on there uh, identity art if only the shards would relocate back in place in your blue green and gray heart bedecked in lace um 
beautiful. And I, You've got I really to point like out it. the fact that he invite, invents the word thoust. <laughs> <laughs> Taking it way back. Taking another path. Phil, what do you think of uh, this song? It's a bit of a mystery to me, this tune, because it's the, the, the lyrics are those kind of thumbnail, sketchy type lyrics where you're not quite sure if there is a thread that runs through it all. And then you've got this really tepid kind of music, the, the drums that, that have already been eloquently described uh, in, in this sort of super sped Casio keyboard demo button kind of uh, backing. Um, and his completely tone deaf, drunken, slurred singing, just shouting, really, just shouting, drunken <laughs> shouting down the microphone. And it's brilliant. I really, really like this. I know all the elements are wrong. I know I shouldn't like it. It shouldn't fit together. It's like you've got a jigsaw with from different jigsaw boxes, and yet they've all miraculously come together and it's a picture that's better than in all four of them. So, I, I, and I don't know what it is, but it's some kind of magic that he he kind of does to this to this stuff. And it, I I totally agree about his the versatility of his voice and being able to, to weave that kind of thing. Maybe that's where the magic is. Maybe, maybe. What about our friend over there in the in the ether? This is pretty good. As long as you don't mind the Casio demo track version of DMB. It sounds really cheap and falling apart, but I like it. Not a clue what it's about. I like Messi's drawled vocals a lot too. Nice, nice. And it is up against this perfect day off the Marshall Suite, a cover of the, the Saints song. Yes, let's have a listen. Philip, you're up. Yeah, I like this. Uh, I, I wasn't that uh, all fair with it before, uh, before listening to it this week. But it's it's got a nice sort of stompy teenager punk and roll kind of feel to it. Is it wait? Is, was it on the Marshall Suite? This tune? Yeah, I think it was. It, it was right in there, right in there in the album. Yeah, right. Because I think I was looking around for um, for the lyrics on it, but I, I couldn't find um, the lyrics anywhere. But um, I, I really like the vibe. I think it gets going right from the very off. It's it, 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 every single time I've listened to it, I've, I've been tapping my foot on holding my hairs um, and getting into it. I think it's a bit uh, brute. I think it's a bit sort of that's. I guess that's what I'm getting at with the whole teenage thing. It feels a bit raw, but that's that's a good thing given uh, our comments about these more polished pieces. I, yeah, I think that you know one of the it's got a lot going for it. The original has that kind of punctuated. This perfect day is kind of punctuated, and it's kind of a bit cheesy. And I think the fact they don't do that, and they've got just doubled down on that raw kind of like aggressive rhythm. And uh, Smith, really good vocal, uh, raw drums, and I love that uh, the the way the drums start. It is really good. I mean, the only thing it's got going against it is uh, you know it's not an original, and so it's got a lot more work to do. Uh, to win me over at least, but uh, yeah, pretty splendid. Alistair, what do you make of uh, 
this perfect day. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I'm aware of the Saints, a decent Aussie band. I mean, it's very minimal. It's got Dead Straight B, nice temple stings in there. Uh, quite like the production, really, compared to some of the you know the other uh, LPs. Uh, it's got a really good rough sound to it. It's kind of bass led with like synth and guitar backup, tight rhythm section. You know, nothing too intrusive. Might have been interesting to have heard it with a, a louder guitar and synth mix, but you know the actual sounds of everything bang on for me. Like it. Yeah, I think in terms of production, it's around this time that they're coming out of that uh, more blander phase and getting into something a little bit more interesting. When you get Marshall Sweet levitate and. Uh, you know, that kind of era. Before they then settle back into a bit more of a pub rocky thing, there's a few albums where they start, they do start taking a few risks. It'd have been great to have heard, um, like recording at Tolrag. That was a label that, well, sorry, a studio that used to be used by Headcourts quite a lot. And a lot of the, you know, the sort of uh, Medware sound bands. Um, and I think, well, they, that was eventually used by White Stripes on Elephants. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. It's all old Abbey Road equipment. Everything's completely like vintage. And you, 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 I think probably one of my favourite ones, uh, like for, for rough sound, um, recorded at Sora, uh, Sexton Ming, um, Endless Discipline LP. That's a raw ass motherfucker. Nice. He's, he's a wild one, isn't he? He's out there. Yeah, good stuff. But um, well, I think the thing about the production is they were always on one on one hand, like chasing that top forty, whatever that was the the main indie kind of uh, vibe at the time. For better or worse, that's kind of where they always went. And uh, you know, it would have been interesting if they stuck to the guns and just stuck with that raw kind of sound all the way through. Um, yeah, uh, Ezra, what do you reckon? Yeah, this is a good good track. Um, Musically, I kind of prefer it to the original. The original is also really good. Uh, it's much more dense, and it, it, it seems to have this sound of like you know, like a kind of uh, Roland space echo, just going whoop, 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 which I really like. Anyways, it's also interesting to note that um, Marky e. Smith takes a lot of liberties with the lyrics. Like in the original, it's more about being poor or excluded and you know the singer's talking about watching people driving around in fancy cars and going to fancy bars whereas in in the fall version he says yes i've been to your fancy bars and i've driven in your sexy cars or something like this and then he starts making fun of your mum <laughs> and there's also no lyrics Hi, Mum. Oh, dear. Yeah, your mum. Yeah, yeah, your <laughs> mum. Your mum, Brendan. He's making fun of your mum. Wait till I wait till I see him. <laughs> but no, and, and and there's no no references to mums in the original either. Um, but they both share the best line, which is "Don't need no one to tell me what I don't already know," which is wow, great. And it, it does take you a while to work out exactly who's telling who what and whether it's something that they do know or they don't know or shouldn't know or will will know or won't know but it's great um hmm. it is great it is great i agree and um what about john peel over there on your telephone phil <laughs> on the spooker phone <laughs> on your that? actual cell phone that's been just been typed normally just it's... on a normal whatsapp text <laughs> message it's it's not ghost app. Okay, oh, my, my mistake. He says, 
because you can tell because it starts off with them going, ooh. <laughs> okay. So, ooh, I always think I like this song less than I actually do. It's a real blast from an underrated album and feels like it has a kick up the arse compared to some other stuff around this time. Ooh. It really drives forward and then fucks off. Scuzzy and fuzzy too, if a bit too blown out and red on the actual recording. The digital clipping sucks. Is this a cover version? Looks it up. Oh shit, yeah, it is. Pretty good. Ooh, sorry, pretty good. He um, He doesn't uh he doesn't truck with covers, right? So that, that will have thrown him off. Because if this was an original, it would be spot on. I mean it still is, but uh, we've got to take that into consideration. That is one of the the footnotes in our agreement. So um, let's vote on those two songs, Ten Houses of Eve versus This Perfect Day. Alistair, what are you going with? Uh, I'm going to go for the one that I, I, I don't think is the better one, actually, because it's a fall song. So um, it's Eve, just because it's a fall song. It's easy, for, it's easy, Alistair. If I want to get an extra vote in any of these, I simply put it up against the cover version, knowing that you, with your, with your old Puritan. school punk rock puritan <laughs> straight edge integrity will never vote for a cover version <laughs> however however bad this song is against you, you never you never know you never know oh alistair phil what do you what do you make of this damn alistair he's found our weakness hasn't he he's exploiting Machi- it. machiavellian it's the worst it's the worst of these two but under that it's got too much goddamn integrity <laughs> foot shot Ten Houses of Eve. Ten Houses of Eve, isn't it? Easy. Ezra? I've got zero integrity, but I'm voting for Ten Houses of Eve because I fucking really like it. Integrity is overrated. I've never had much time for it myself. Uh, I'm also going for Ten Houses of Eve, even though I, I, I think it's terrible. It's the worst song they ever did. <laughs> and that's why I like it so much. <laughs> and Peely? He's also another one who can't, uh, who will never vote for a cover. He's poor. Fuck you, Brendan. Perfect death. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's got me. He knows He knows what I think. He's doubled the double. But anyway, it's too late, Peel. Whatever that one with the drawing base is called goes through. So moving on to the last, the last bits. Second house now. Give us a blast of that, if you don't mind. Where you been? Sweet, sweet. Ezra. I can't remember which order we're going in, but I'm going to go to Ezra because I'm wary of him now with his with his heckles raised. Don't want to annoy him anymore. So yeah, you can go first, Ezra. Okay, well, yeah, this is a real nice song. And I was, you know, digging into it a little bit. And I turned out through um, the annotated fall, I found this great review from an Australian website. And I'm just going to read a bit from that, if that's okay. 
so just give me a moment. Okay, so here this is from Robert Broken Mouth. The extremely well-read MES often hints at the social origins of Nazism, or shall we say fascist bullshit, in his lyrics. The title, Second House Now, echoes the chant popularized by the Communist Party and their adherents in UK from late 1942, Second Front Now. Russia was a selfish and ugly alley which could not comprehend the idea of a discerning and decent life after the war. Mark knows that the time of fascism in the UK is at hand. And by that, I don't mean either the National Front or the Tory party. No, it's a social requirement by now that free people are required to merge into the mass, accept what they're given, and be told what to do by the state. This ties in with the lyrics to couples versus jobless mid-30s as well, the way in which large chunks of the young population are both disregarded and used as fodder forcing their ambitions to be selfish and unthreatening to those genuinely in power. MES also knew, as do many others, that the UK was heading in this direction in the 1980s, a circumstance exacerbated by the Blairites. If I was going to write a song about the place now, I'd start with Land of Roundabouts and Warning Signs. It might not be too long before we, seen, before we see scenes reminiscent of the Nuremberg rallies. Oh, wait, that's on TV now. I mean, I wonder what, what uh, channel he was on if they were showing the Nuremberg rally. That's all uh, I could say. Phil Rigby, you're, new, you're politically neutral. What about your... Uh... Uh, <laughs> so the first couple of times that this tune came on, on the playlist, I gave it about 15 seconds and skipped over to the next one, writing it off as a Sheik and Stevens ripoff. So it was only in the last couple of, uh, couple of days that I've actually given it a proper listen where it does actually change, doesn't it? About 40 seconds in, it's a very different beast. And um, I, I thought it was a bit of a theme, actually, about magic realism in, in the lyrics. There's, uh, there's some references in this, which got me thinking of some of the, uh, the Mexican horror that I've seen from the 60s, like Brainiac and things like that, which I, I really like. And um, there's, a, there's a line in it where uh, it says, sword of Mexico, spirit-like, horrible, the sword is red. Just these kind of really evocative, like touch lyrics, and uh, I thought that the music goes from being embarrassing to being just a bit sort of competent, but not particularly exciting. Uh, it sort of chugged along, um, but yeah, that that whole Mexican cosmic horror vibe, I, I, I quite like in the lyrics. But um, yeah, it's nothing that's going to explode. It's, it's mm. all right. Yes, yes. Alistair, what do you make of this one? Um, well, as Phil said, it was uh, the Shaking Stevens thing was my first impression. Uh, but like after a few listens, it really reminded me of uh, the legendary Stardust Cowboy, who um, the ledge, the ledge, yeah, started. I think it was in the sixties he started off, and uh, I don't know if he's still alive or not. But I remember hearing something on Radio Four, <laughs> Radio Three, sorry. Um, uh, late at night, and they were playing like a bit of a, a live gig. And uh, when it finished, uh, the announcer went, said, Yes, and at the end of the recording, he was just wearing a Stetson and uh, a pair of uh, golden underpants. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, there's definitely a, a bit of a ledge feel to it, especially with a vocal. Um, yeah, and then it gets a bit punky, could do with a bit more of the uh, John Spencer type overdrive in there. Um, some of the, the, the riffs in it remind me a bit of Peru, like the bass riffs anywhere. Yeah, and a bit of the sort of like dinosaur junior type sound again, like when it comes to the, the more 
punky bit. Uh, but the uh, tonal noisy lead guitar bit is, is quite nice. I don't mind the twangy rockabilly stuff. I think if that had been the whole song, I would have been okay with that. But it, you know, it was. I wrote Ed Shaking Stevens as well, and um, uh, and then it does go into a bit more of a generic rock song. And I, there is that magic realism thing going on. The ghosts. I got a lift on the highway. The turning of the muscle years and the and spirit like new facts emerge. But also there's something going on about, you know, coercion of the state, you know, how going down the street in the big city, unlike the 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 Lou Reed kind of like the 70s, like I'm in the city and I'm like kind of strolling down the street and I'm kind of like, you know, it's kind of rough times. It's more like, well, the city is now a place where, you know, you kind of just settle in and you just kind of do what's expected and wishes people would have a bit more spunk and whether the North would rise again. But also, this is the house, apparently, because his, his girlfriend at the time when he passed away, um, Pamela Vander, she, she spoke about this house and said, in the, this nation's saving grace, he writes, my new house, right, which is about his first house. And this is now about his second house. So he's, it literally is about the house that was on, that they posted on, uh, people were putting on social media a few months ago that was up for sale. It is literally about that house. And he said... Um, he was like, yeah, he's happy and excited with the with the house, and um, he loved it. He wrote a lot and walked in the garden. Musically, it doesn't quite do it for me. Lyrically, there's something there, but um, it's up against something that might just split us. Daz boat. But before we get there, what's the it just gets there? Let me give it a good shake. He says, brilliant. Covers all the layers today. Fall basses, drunk country swinger, drunken disoriented brumbly vocals with some balls, some good riffage and solid drive. I can forgive the phasing. I love the messy new facts breakdown bit too. Mez gets some cavernous reverb too. One of the highlights of the last record for sure. Nice, nice, nice. And now we have 10 minutes of of, of, of amplifier feedback under the auspices of a song. Highlights of the evening for me. Does boat of Reformation post TLC. I was taking the piss a little bit earlier, but I actually really liked it. I got into it once I'd listened to it a few times, especially without that first bit that's kind of ostensibly the end of another song or the end of a jam or something. I got into that kind of like that sub bass and the, the kind of wob, 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 and he's kind of there's some background collage and he's kind of, I mean, I think Daz Bort refers to the fact it kind of sounds like a submarine because, you know, a U-boat is, uh, you know, German submarines, a war reference, more, the, the more the merrier. 
Um, but I really liked it. I felt it was like a deliberately unfinished kind of sketch. It was um, pretty experimental. Uh, and there's some nice little bits all the way through it. Uh, yeah, it's not a song. Uh, clearly, it's not It's not making the top 40. But uh, as a, a piece of audio collage, I, I kind of enjoyed it. How about you, Phil? So <laughs> it took me a while. It took me a while with this one. Um, and, you know, giving it a good few lessons. I, I think your Kawano reference here would be cruel, wouldn't it? That would be a cruel thing to do, I think. A little bit. I've got and, no uh, book for your Kawano. Tired. It's just a good lass. <laughs> well, when I, when I was first listening to it, I thought it's like you were hinting at then. It's, it's got some interesting ideas going on in it. And it would probably be better as a rarity, you know, as like a, you know, like a, a rare B side or something like that. It'd have a bit of curio kind of value. Um, and then I tried the thing of right, I'm just going to listen to it as a piece of music. It's not a fall tune. I'm just going to sort of drink it in as it is. And the first like minute and a half of it, it's got this John Carpenter type of dark soundscape thing going on. And then David fucking Gilmore guitar rocks up. It's mournful. <laughs> Off the top of it, like what the fuck is going on with that? So that totally put me off. Totally pissed in the baby's milk. That for me, and then it started to win me back after a few lessons. And it, it, I, I, I'm a bit like you, really. I got into it, and it kind of got into the vibe that they're creating. And even the wacky sort of, I will make a Yorno corner reference. I think it's that style of experimental singing that they got over the top of it but I think it works a lot better than any of that stuff and it, it really started drawing me in it is unfinished and it's rough around the edges but it's definitely an interesting idea though and considering it's just somebody fucking knocked out to fill a bit of obligatory contractually obliged album a quarter spare. of the album yeah it's it, it's actually pretty <laughs> interesting and it, it works but I mean as a as a fall tune you kind of want a bit more than a thumbnail sketch don't you even even the more improvised stuff you want something that's a bit more kind of meaty but yeah bizarre what I like that this fucking album though what is it doing to me this this podcast project man? exactly <laughs> exactly if nothing else it's uh reassessing the Presley era um <laughs> I, and I will stand up for your corner. I I, I love that uh, love that lass and everything she does. So I ain't this in your corner. I'm not saying you are. Kiss, kiss me, love. No, bad for Beetle John. Ezra, what's your take on this uh, monolith? Well, any friend of mine will tell you that if you want to calm me down, you better put on some Cosmish rock because I really like that stuff. And I thought this was excellent. Um, it was interesting reading the YouTube comments, actually, um, because one of the early ones is like, the fall does noy. And if I ever track that fucker down, I'll give him proper fucking slapping <laughs> because this is not a noy cover. This is obviously an early cluster cover. And it sounds very much like some of the early cluster tracks. And they are masterpieces of dark, minimal, ambient weirdness. And yeah, and on those terms, it's great. And if you plug it into a big pair of speakers, you get this wonderful kind of throbbing bass. There might be a kick drum in there, I'm not sure, but it just sounds absolutely majestic and hypnotic. And and then they come in with the vocals and it's, it's you do right all over again. Um, I feel like I should be keeping a tally 
of all the tracks where Marky Smith kind of cops off Malcolm Mooney singing You Do Right and starts going, ooh, 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 or in this case, because it's all over the place in the fall, in all of the songs. Um, and it's great. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, this period of music, this period of German rock to me is like, it, it, it's just some of my favorite stuff. And I'm very glad that uh, there was a band that was intelligent and awesome enough on their own terms to give it proper homage that it deserved. So yeah, I've got unreserved love for this. Did Alistair? What do you make of this? Well, apart from the, the Floydy guitar bit at the beginning, uh, I did spot the, the the Gilmore reference there from Mister Pippin. Um, it's fucking great. I um, love it. I, I scribbled down white noise, really reminded me sort of Delia Derbyshire kind of stuff and a lot of the German experimental stuff that was going around uh, in the 70s. Um, but yeah, it's got a great sort of like paganistic, shamanistic, zen out there feel to it. Um, great mechanical, minimalist rhythm. Uh, and even chuck the wine glass in there as well for a little bit of percussion. I love it. I think I think it's, it's really, really good. Uh, it had me hooked from the start. Wow, wow, wow. But not the start of the song, the, uh, the, the guitar bit with the harmonised well, I thought you were going to make reference to uh, your favourite German television programme, Das Boot. Um, you know what, I nearly did, yeah, but it's it's, it's Das Boot, the song title. Uh, in German, it'd be Das Boot, but yeah. Um, and, you know, Phil, that beard clearly a tribute to uh, the, the German TV series. I just love the bit where they go to rescue those, uh, or the British soldiers, because they sink a British ship, don't they? They've all got German accents, all the British soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> the hard part of that television programme. And also this one, the, the EEE kind of lyric that we had going in, it really reminds me of the Big White Penguin out of Mountains of Madness. Sure that was it. That was intentional. Absolutely. So something for everyone in this track. I can't. I imagine that in most of the parallel universes, Das Boot is not getting as much love <laughs> as it has on the show. And I have some genuinely surprised. I thought I would be possibly the only one giving well, love. So hold I, on to your knickers, Brendan. Well, <laughs> to be honest, we have got more. What does what does Peel think of the ten minute long uh, amplifier noise? Uh, Okay, so he's <laughs> he scrolled. Das bollocks. See what he did there, another that, joke. That's uh, that as much. And then he's put bollocks. Predictable. Predictable. I'm docking him a point for that attitude. So I'm going for I'm going for Das Boat. What about you, Ezra? Yeah, I'm I'm voting for Das Boat. I think it's great. Splendid. Alistair? It's a no-brainer, it's a uh, Das Boat. Ooh, la, la. And Philip? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Das Boat. And so that rounds up the evening. We have Das Boat going through, along with Ten Houses of Eve. Is that right? Did that go through? <laughs> I've forgotten. Um, oh, no, Ten um, Houses went through. Ten Houses of Eve. So what about it went through? And um, against all better judgment, winter 
Hostel Maxi, great tune, but I do hold a grudge. That's gone through as well. Now, before we wrap up next week, I'm bringing in a, 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 an episode called uh, Between the Cracks. So there's about 25, 30 fall songs that don't really appear on any albums. They're, they're <laughs> oh, oh, Philip over there, you find that amusing here? You find do you find the title Between the Cracks amusing, do you, Rigby? <laughs> Come over and tell the whole class, sir. Jesus, jeez, Louise. All right, I'll change the title then. So, between the cracks, what it is is this: there's about thirty-five fall songs that uh, only appear either live or in uh, in really not anywhere that you can find them officially. So, I'm going to give you about fifteen of these, and uh, you've got uh, fifteen for your best, all the way down to one for the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few in there, believe me. Uh, obviously, the one that wins goes into the goes into the main body. So, what do you think about that? Sounds good. Convoluted as it should be. I can't wait. It sounds amazing. <laughs> well, thanks all for fans that have listened to the end of this podcast, and um, we are happy to be back. I am episode nineteen. We're going into double figures next. Episode twenty. And uh, so oh, we're already in double figures. I don't know how counting works, does <laughs> it? Don't know how counting works, me. Numbers are for losers, exactly. I'm strictly a word. All right, take it easy, my friend. Take it easy. See ya.
Oh, it's 